You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome back, everyone. It's me and Kirk this week. So exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so because it's just you and me, Kirk, I brought what I think is a doozy. Uh, oh. I think it's a doozy. It's definitely weird. So I don't know about you, Kirk, but I love having friends who just get me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's an important part of friendship. I having w- someone who gets you, especially if you're a weirdo. Oh, yeah. And I bring it up because one of my friends sent me this article to me <laughs> All right. yeah. the day that it came out, that it was published, uh, with the knowledge nice. that I needed to know. And this is extra exciting because this happened, as of our recording, this happened in the last week or so. Uh, Ooh, the articles nice. were all published all right. Breaking in the last, news. Breaking news as of August 11th uh, is when it, the news broke. So very recent, which is very exciting for us. So, this week, we're going to the ocean. Oh, oh my gosh, Rachel. I am shocked, (laughs) shocked that you would go to the ocean for your topic area. Uh, People, I mean, wow, everyone has lost massive bets they had placed in Vegas. (laughs) Like, you really broke the mold today. I truly, truly did. What do you got for us? So, today we're going to go to the southern ocean around Antarctica. Which is very exciting. Yeah. Uh, so the article that I was the articles that I'm referring to are in reference to a new species that has been discovered in the depths of the Antarctic Arctic Oceans. Awesome. Kirk, Love some new species. Yeah. Oh yeah. What is the most horrifying thing you can think of that would be discovered in the ocean by Antarctica? Uh, no, I, I can go pretty. So I can scared. go. <laughs> that's a little too broad of a question, Rachel. I can go pretty dark. I assume you mean what sort of new species of yes. animal? Yes. Okay, because my mind went to all kinds of dark places that didn't involve new species of animals. Right, um, Cthulhu would be one. Yes, something like that. So uh, that'd probably be nicer than what I was thinking. Um, so what would be like a like, like, like a horrifying? Did you say what was the word you used? What would the most horrifying thing you could imagine to be discovered in southern oceans? I got it. I got it, Rachel. I, yeah. I'm going to do a callback to one of our earliest episodes when we talked about the gob-faced squid, ooh, uh, ooh, which ooh, was yeah. just the most terrifyingly awful wrong looking creature you can imagine and then at the end you revealed that it was only like an inch or two across or something or like oh it's tiny so in my mind the most horrifying thing would be like something that was looked like the gob squid but was larger than a human that's what i'm going with 
like a squid with dentures that tries to devour you. Oh, that's horrifying. Okay, well, it's definitely yeah, not right? that dark, but uh, I do want to... <laughs> okay, good. The, I will say the article titles and everything, they're a little sens- sensational, but... Uh, no. <gasps> gasp. But it is pretty exciting. So I sent you a picture, Kirk. You want to take a look at it? Let me look. Oh, yikes. <laughs> um, what do you see in is- there? A lot of tentacle-looking things that are also sort of feathery. Almost reminds me of like of a crinoid. Uh, if <laughs> I don't know how many of our listeners know what a crinoid is, you know, prehistoric creature from four hundred million years ago. I, I will but say, anyways, hilariously, yeah. this is a crinoid. <laughs> yes, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> You're such a nerd. All right. I'm such a nerd. Uh, well, it looks like it looks it looks like the same crinoids that we had, uh, even here, you know, under my feet where we're recording, um, when Minnesota and much of pretty much all of the interior of North America was covered by a shallow inland sea 400, 450 million years ago or so. Crinoids were very common, uh, and this looks kind of like one, so that's really cool. Mm-hmm. So. What you're looking at is a new species of feather star. They call it the okay. the common name for it is the Antarctic strawberry feather star. <sighs> Scientific oh, name. Well, I'm not sure where the strawberry comes from, but okay. You no, know, I'm not sure either. I think they're on something. Anyway, I, the, I literally the, have. As soon as we're done recording, I'm having strawberry shortcake for dessert, and it's sitting here and. There are strawberries, and they look nothing like this, um, no. you know, uh, I'm going to describe this as like some sort of eldritch horror uh, beast that comes to devour your brains while you sleep or something. That's what it looks like. It kind of does. Yeah, I would agree. Not a strawberry. So the formal scientific name, Promacrocrinus fragarius. Okay. That was pretty good, actually. I'm really proud of myself. Bravo. Uh, <laughs> woohoo. Bravo. Uh, it's okay. No one knows how to pronounce any uh, you know, Latin. scientific names. So. Absolutely not. It's a running joke at this point. So the, the strawberry feather straw, the feather star, I should say. Straw. It's not a straw. Although the arms do look like Terrifying. straws. Oh, God, what sort of straws are you using, Rachel? <laughs> no, they do not. <laughs> Oh my god! I don't really use straws. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it shows. <laughs> so feather stars. Not what straws look like. This new species. It is a species with, and this is what all of the articles latched onto. It has twenty arms and legs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sounds and, about right. Yeah. So, and these arms and legs are long with they look like feathers hence a feather star okay yeah no, with, that, that was my first reaction was sort of a you've got like a central uh vein which looks a bit almost like a spine if you will because it's probably made out of those mm-hmm. crinoid segments that they're kind of famous for and then yeah. more sort of fractal like um you know feathery smaller little columns coming off it so 
Right. Gosh, now and I'm picturing like like a, a sculpture made out of all these like human spines that are like have smaller oh. spines coming out of it. It's horrifying. Oh, We're not that's go awful. There. That's terrible, Kirk. But Why did your dreams, brain go everyone. there? <laughs> oh. I, I had a night terror last night. Oh, it didn't okay. involve this though. So luckily. <laughs> well, maybe you'll have a new one and involve this one. Gosh, I hope not. I worst. hope not for you, dear lord. Yeah. So <laughs> this species, uh, the Siri. So this particular picture, a lot of the uh, Siri, which are like the feathery bits, have um, okay. been removed so that way we can see more of the body. Generally speaking. Oh, interesting. Right. For at least this particular uh, picture. But the, one that you sent me, the yeah. main part of the body, like where a lot of the legs attach, I suppose. Okay. Is shaped because I'm looking at a picture. It's like a zoomed in picture of the one I, I showed you is a zoomed in picture. Yeah. And it does have the general shape of a strawberry. Oh, okay. Must it's be just really from. small and is very, and that is where the strawberry part comes from. These were all collected gotcha during an expedition during expeditions between 2007 and 2018 and they just were identified and published this past week so it's okay, one so of formally four like, written, scientifically written up as a species yeah exactly now in this picture i don't realize that our listeners can't see this so there's these 20 long feathery arms that come up but then there's like i don't know 40 little arms little at the legs. base that look yeah. like a really Those are the bad legs wig those are the legs okay look like a bad mm -hmm. wig upside down those stuck are the, to the legs. bottom those are the legs okay gosh so are these you yeah. say legs are they mobile like they can walk around so or is yes. leg just sort of used as a general i think term? leg is used more as a general term however they are still a they still are able to be mobile a lot of these particular species, yeah, a lot of these particular species, so those pieces that you're looking at, those are like the legs-ish, but they're also that Siri, um, C-I-R-R-I, -R -R -I, which I mentioned the same earlier. Same type of structure as the upper part. Same yeah. type of structure. And they are used more for some attachment to like coral reefs and things however in the gotcha. antarctic ocean there isn't much of you know right not a lot of coral reefs, for coral reefs. Yes. <laughs> so, so like rocks and things probably right definitely for rocks and things these creatures are plankton eaters and they have been found to have some different kinds of colorations and things too uh, so they have more purplish spots and dark red hues, which is very different from huh. some of the other species that are more of like a yellow or a brown, which is wild. Okay. And they kind of, how they move around is they spread out those like arms, those really long limby looking things. And they just kind of, yeah wave them around is my understanding like a, they're a, fil a filter feeder i assume yeah mm -hmm, they are cool that sounds so, i mean awesome i'm probably not going to dive down how do we do you know how far down they were found 
So this particular species of feather star was actually found from anywhere from 330 to 3,300 feet deep. So okay, that's wow, a hundred to a thousand meters. Right, total blackness down there. That's amazing. <laughs> Which is really, really cool. It's so funny because some of the articles do call it a Lovecraftian horror because of how it looks. No, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, when you said Cthulhu, you weren't. Uh, you weren't. I was that not far wrong because those was... feathery like yeah. arms they spread out. They aren't normally like all bunched together like they are in the picture that I'll mm-hmm. share on social media as well. They're generally spread out. Looking spread like out, a yeah. like a lily pad or like this spread out little like creature as it filter feeds around. Wow. And, and thankfully there's uh, not a big toothy mouth in the middle like the gob faced squid. There isn't, but uh one thing that I haven't Oof. mentioned it yet uh was the size, oh, no. right? <laughs> so it's not oh, that you haven't. No. big. <laughs> it's not I wouldn't that think it would be big. How big is it? It so the arms, those long bits, can be up to yeah. eight inches long, which isn't eight inches small, but it's not eight inches. Yeah, which is no. small, but it's yeah, like that's about that's about what I figured. Either. Yeah, so the whole thing yeah. is about twenty centimeters. Uh, is what okay. they were saying, like the right. body itself. So it's not large, it's not huge, but it's not gob-faced squid small either. Right, right. So Very cool. It's very fun. I love a good crinoid. New little crinoid, new little species that was just discovered. It's very exciting. They use DNA to actually uh, figure out that it was a different species in the first place. Uh, I guess in the study they found uh, seven seven new species Uh, no no no. they found seven species and four were newly discovered and then a bunch and then three of them were misclassified so which is wild so it's so fun that we get to use new technology to understand where everything sits in the world it's very oh so they had previously been misclassified and they reclassified them and said no 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 they, they should be in this particular classification Yes. Cool. Uh, so they yeah, all thought great. that uh, this particular on improving one was our knowledge. one species. Yeah. The Antarctic feather, uh, strawberry feather star was actually thought to be a particularly, uh, was a different shape, or not a different shape, a different species, but has now been reclassified, which is very fun. Nice. And science went, wow, this looks horrifying. Yeah, Let's name it sure strawberry. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I have. For Way you to go, all science! <laughs> yeah, excellent. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, it'll be Kirk. Yeah. Hey everybody, welcome back. You know, we are on the backside of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, and at least up here in the Northland, lawnmowers will swap into leaf blowers and rakes, 
And shortly after that, snow throwers and shovels. But let's not oh. leave summer quite <laughs> yet. Quite yet. Uh, when we think of I'm summer, okay we this. may think of... Yeah, right? I mean, I often think of like the feel of sand under our feet at the beach. The sight of little fluffy clouds floating along in an impossibly blue sky. Or the, the smell of freshly mown grass. And smells, screaming. indeed, yeah. are a big part of summer. Uh, mown grass, flowers, barbecue, especially this summer, mm. Canadian wildfires. Uh, the smells uh. of summer are almost as important as the heat and the rain. Though, to be fair, even rain has a smell, but that's a topic I'm going to say for another day. Uh, I want to back up to the smell of fresh mowed grass. Ooh. It is. <laughs> I love this topic. Please go on. I know. I'm, I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, Rachel. Uh, it's a great smell. Uh, it smells fresh, and if, if you'll forgive my flowery language, uh, full of fecundity, uh, it evokes memories of like summer's past and playing in yards and baseball fields and playgrounds as a child. And even if you don't think about that particular smell very often, I've got to imagine if you were blindfolded and presented this smell, I'm guessing some really powerful memories would come flowing back from the depths of your mind. When it comes to smells oh, yeah. from plants, we need to distinguish two different possibilities for why a smell exists. First off, it, it may just be an emergent property with no purpose. Uh, I, I was recently reading a story online about the smells of Disneyland. I've, I don't even remember how I got on this, uh, but how a the lot of people have this huge hole that you tend to be in. Yeah, I went down That's some click hole there. and ended up there. But uh-huh. uh, apparently people have this huge nostalgia for the smell of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. And there's even like Pirates of the Caribbean ride scented candles. And people really wanted to know, like, what is that magical kind of musty smell? And how did the <laughs> Imagineers, you know, create it? And it turns out it's just the smell of the bromine they put in the water to keep it clean. Like, that's it. <laughs> they're, they're nothing intentional. And Amazing. the same goes for the Haunted Mansion, the magical oh, yeah. smell of the Haunted Mansion, which is just burned into people's, some people's brains. It's just the smell of a dusty old building combined with the particular grease they use on the doom buggies. So anyhow. Making me real uh, excited much, for Disney World there, Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> much like in those examples, like no one planned those smells. They don't serve a purpose. They're just an emergent property of all the parts that have come together, right? And this can be true of plants as well. Certain compounds are naturally going to have smells just because the fact that they are, you know, molecules and our nose can detect them. And hey, guess what? They might have a smell. And so that smell may be incidental to their purpose, right? There might not be any reason behind it. It may not serve any kind of purpose. Certainly, though, there are smells that plants purposely make as a signal. Uh, the smell of flowers, both good smelling and bad smelling ones, right? Uh, right? Have evolved to attract insects. And smells that attract insects can also, I guess, start out as an accident. If insects come to recognize those smells and having insects around is beneficial, uh, then the smells will get stronger as they get selected for through evolution. This is sort of a weird thing, though, because I would think... In most cases, like in most non-pollinator plant type situations, mm -hmm. plants don't really want to attract insects to them uh, unless it's a pollinator because right. insects are often not beneficial, right? They're often pests. Of yeah, plants. they're going to eat the plant. Exactly. Uh, well, that kind of ties into what I want to talk about because there was a study out of Texas A&M back in 2014 
that demonstrated that the smell of fresh cut grass may actually be a cry for help. I knew this so is what, where you were going. <laughs> what they found uh, was that when grass is cut, uh, the smell it gives off actually calls in a protective army of wasps. What? That's right. The smell of fresh cut grass attracts wasps. Whoa. Now, I didn't know that. If you are... Yeah, if well, here's the deal. <laughs> if you're thinking these wasps are meant to like drive off and sting the person mowing the lawn, uh, no, that's okay. not what's going okay. to happen. That's not what's going on. Uh, these are not like paper wasps or yellow jackets or anything like that or any of the wasps you'd be familiar with. Mm-hmm. These are parasitic wasps that eat other insects or more specifically lay their eggs inside other insects. And this relationship likely evolved millions of years before the invention of the lawnmower. So when insects, like a caterpillar, like I say, a caterpillar starts to chew on grasses, the smell is, a smell is given off and wasps know that that smell of recently cut or chewed on grass means there are insects feeding on that grass. And so you gotta imagine these wasps must be very sensitive to that smell. And they use it to key in. Well, right, because they're going to use that to key in on, like, which blade of grass was just eaten so they can attack an individual insect. So, like you were kind of getting to, a whole yard of grass being mowed at once must give us so much smell that it would be just overwhelming to the wasps. They might well assume that they are about to encounter an enormous number of caterpillars feeding and then be utterly confused when they can't find the insects anywhere that ate off the top of every piece of grass as far as their little <laughs> compound eyes can see. Mm-hmm. So uh, when, this, when this came out, uh, a lot of news outlets picked up on the story and mm-hmm. talked about the idea of grass being able to communicate with the wasp. So this was an example of communication. And the researchers right. themselves even talk about this as a form of communication. And so we can argue, you know, some people might think, well, no, 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 that's not really communication. Plants don't have intelligence. Uh, the fact they give off a smell is just a quirk of evolution. They're not calling to the insects to come protect them. Rather, the insects are just attracted to the smell because they know it is correlated with caterpillars and they want to lay their eggs inside the caterpillars because remember, they are parasitic, parasitic wasps. Right. And from an evolutionary perspective, the better the insects get at smelling that smell, the more they survive. And the better the plants are at making the smell, the more they attract the defending insects and the better they survive. And then we get smellier and smellier plants because the smellier ones are the ones that are more likely to survive. Right. So clearly there is no planned intelligence here, but I feel like the same could kind of be said of human communication, (laughs) especially, you know, certain forms of human communication don't seem to have a lot of intelligence behind them. Um, Hmm. Evolution did not plan for humans to speak and use language. That wasn't, there's, there's no plan for that to happen. Rather, it proved useful that these animals that could make sound were better able to survive. And so language was an emergent property of this process. And we can look at these examples of what plants can do and go, no, 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 no. That, that isn't communication. That's just putting out a smell and it happened to benefit the plant, right? But I, as I was thinking about this, I had to wonder, are we biased in our understanding of what communication is? And imagine, I'm going to pull this one out, like an alien species, mm-hmm. you know, comes down and visits Earth, but this alien species can communicate with each other through telepathy. Instant, right. 100% understanding of your thoughts beam directly into someone else's brain. 
That would be obviously super amazing, but those aliens might look at humans and think, well, those humans aren't truly capable of communication. I mean, sure, humans can make some sounds and other humans can try to understand those sounds, but it's a cumbersome process with less than complete understanding. It's really just animals making sounds and trying to react to those sounds because those who are better at making sounds uh, and those who are better at interpreting sounds tend to survive and breed. And so it's just a quirk of evolution. They make these sounds and, you know, it's not really communication, right. though. So because right. there's never 100% understanding, you see what I'm saying here? Like, I'm having to use a lot of words because communication is difficult, but it is inherently about sending out a signal uh, of some sort that will hopefully increase your chance of survival. I think that's one way to think about what communication is. Sending out some sort of signal to help you increase your chance of survival. And study after study has repeatedly shown that plants do indeed have their own forms of communication. And not just by smells. Uh, right. So there's other ways too. I think it is fair to say that grass is sending out a message to... Um, beneficial insects to come and save them i again there's I no intelligence be behind that but it's it's definitely a, there's a communication there's a flow of information there and it may not be right. a form of conscious communication with intelligence and thought behind it but not all the communication i do is totally conscious and intelligent either if you hear me after i stub my toe i make all <laughs> kinds of sounds and there isn't uh -huh. much of a thought process to that communication or the string of sounds and expletives that come out of my mouth um but you'd still be able to figure out that something you know dramatic had happened so right next time you smell that fresh mown grass just take take in that wonderful smell of millions of blades of grass screaming for help they're all going help me help me help me basically yeah that's one of the ah! big smells of summer is screaming grass uh, my main <laughs> source for this week was science daily but I think it's just uh, fascinating to think about all the communication that's going on out there with plants that maybe we're not even, you know, aware of as being communication, even if we can detect it, which is pretty I, cool. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. Like you mentioned, are we biased? I absolutely think we're biased. Plants have oh, been sure. around for, what, millions of years before we were, we were even a thought on this planet? Many, 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 many. Yeah, plants have been around for a long time and had a lot of time it would be, to figure out how to survive. It would be ridiculous. I, there's a better word that I can't think of, but it's be super... I feel like it'd be very presumptuous that of mm -hmm. humans to think that we were the only ones to figure out some sort of communication when plant, plants have been around for so much longer. <laughs> Well, I, I got news for you, Rachel. Come up with some sort of form of communication. Humans have been pretty presumptuous on this front for most of human history, assuming that plants didn't have any <laughs> forms of communication. Only now, fairly recently, are we learning about all these many forms of communication, and we'll talk about many more on the show. I mean, oh, even yeah. when we had Vikram on from Planthropology, oh, yeah. he talked about, he was talking crown about the and things. Yeah. Yeah, crown shyness, which is, again, uh, people are saying, hey, that's a form of communication between plants. So Absolutely. Uh, so much cool stuff. So cool. But oh, uh, so that's just what I wanted to talk about this week. Thanks, Kirk. Well, Rachel, yeah, thanks for joining me this week. And, uh, yeah, this is fun. some strange side of nature. Awesome. Well, wow. I will see you next week, and we'll see everyone else back here next week for more Strange by Nature. Bye -bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. 
Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of The Strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.